The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When I was in school, I, as a job, worked as a server. And it was a nice restaurant. I, I enjoyed trying to sell the things on the menu. The menu was great, and I kind of enjoyed the challenge of it. And it, it, was, it wasn't too bad. I liked working at the restaurant. And like most restaurants, similar to that, most nice restaurants, it had a, a special for the evening. And the chef would come out uh, with this, the dish, and he'd bring it into the kitchen, and all the servers would gather around, and he'd put the, the special down that he had uh, created and he'd explain it to us. We'd be all writing notes down. Then we'd all taste it so we knew what it tasted like. And then it was our job to sell that special. Like that was the challenge. We were required to go out and sell that special. And and it was we had a great. It was a great restaurant. Great executive chef. And all almost all of the specials that he put together were great. And I had no problems being excited to sell it. Every now and then. There was a special that it was, I mean, all the servers are just trying to like have happy faces while we're like swallowing it in front of the chef. And then like later we'd be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this? We've got to sell this now. And, and, and remind you, as you probably know, if some of you are servers, um, you know that I, the guests, their overall happiness with the evening reflects on your livelihood at the end. So if we sell them something they don't like, okay, that's gonna, that's, that hurts us, okay? So we are all trying to figure out what are we supposed to do. We're definitely not going to tell the chef that this is not good. I mean, he's the chef, so we're not going to say that to him. And so different servers did different things. Some of them, they literally just made up their own special. Just started saying, well, our special is, and they kind of put it together, and then they take it to the chef like, hey, this is what they want. I don't know. You just you figure it out. So they just make up their own special. Some would just not mention the special. I kind of felt bad doing that, so I tried to do the right thing, and I would try to sell the special. I would just try and do it in a way that there was no chance that they were going to order it. (laughs) Our special this evening is a uh, seafood ravioli. It's stuffed with pieces of seafood we found on the floor. (laughs) It's got a brown sauce that was expertly made by wringing out old rags. And we recommend pairing it with a 1987 carton of milk we found in the back just goes with it. For some reason, no one ever got the special when I did it like that. So the chef was the one saying, okay, this is, this is the special. This is really good. This is what I want you to sell. And, and we're not the expert. We're not the chef. We're just the servers. We just have to sell what he gives to us to sell. We have no say. He's the one that went to the culinary school. He's the, he's the expert on it. We, if he says it's good, it's good, and we have to sell it. Well, that's an interesting dynamic that happens in our culture. Our culture has set experts, like every culture, but has set experts that tell us what is good and what is not good. So, for example, there's the Academy Awards and there's all the award shows, especially it seems like in this season, where they say, well, this, this actor did a good job and this one didn't. Or this, this movie was great, this one we're not even nominating. And, or, or this new album was excellent, this one's not good. 
Or then there's the draft days coming. There's the NFL combine happening. So you've got all these experts saying, well, this player is ready for the NFL. This player, not ready yet, needs a lot of training, should not go. This player should play right away. And all these experts telling us what is good and what is not good. And this is true of any culture. It's just very important that we recognize that dynamic. It's extremely important that even though we are completely immersed, it's sometimes hard for us to discern our own culture because we're completely immersed in it. But if we don't understand this dynamic that every culture sets up experts and lets them shape our thinking, lets them tell us what is good and what is not good, well, this is really, really good. Well, this, this person's an all-star. This person's not. We have these experts. If we're not very careful in perceiving that dynamic in our culture, it can literally wreak havoc in our lives. If we just go within the slipstream and just em- embrace, just swallow whole what the so-called experts around us in our culture say is good and not good, it can wreak havoc in our lives. It can leave us in a constant place of insecurity, a constant place of almost despair. It can leave us in a place where we're just being misguided by our culture, going down a path that will inevitably lead to destruction. There's all kinds of things. If we don't understand that dynamic that happens in culture, it can be very destructive. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. We're going to start in verse 25. Genesis 1, verse 25. And this is the story of God creating the world. And we've been going through this the last several weeks. This is what our series is, is looking at in these Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, just explaining God as the creator, how he made the world. And as we see, we see these little nuggets throughout these chapters that help us understand not only how he wired the universe, but how he wired us. And that gives us a clue to how we're supposed to function. So uh, as we've been reading through, it presents, it in Genesis 1, presents God creating the universe in six days, so day one, he creates light. And day two, he separates the water from the sky. And day three, land appears, and then vegetation grows. And then uh, day four, then you have birds flying in the sky, and he creates fish in the sea. And then day five is where he creates animals, and that's where we're going to pick it up. So look at Genesis 1:25. It's also going to be up here on the screens. It says this, And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. Now, I want you to just read this last sentence out loud with me. Read this with me. And God saw that it was good. Okay, so this is part of this pattern. As you're reading Genesis 1, there's a poetic sense to it. There's a pattern. It says, and God said, let there be, and whatever he says comes to being. And then he looks at it and it describes what he sees and then it describes how it operates and then at the end it says, and God saw that it was good. And then it says there was evening and there was morning and whatever day it was. This is a a key part of the pattern with each day. At the end of the day, he looks at what he's made and he says, it is good. Okay, that's day five. Let's keep going to day six because what you're going to see is that we see in here as we're reading through this, the pattern changes After day six, I'm going to read through most of this day. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. All right, now there's a lot in here. This is when he's talking about how he creates the human race. This is on day six. And uh, one of the first things we see in, in day six is he says, let us make man in our image. And it really emphasizes that he makes creates human beings in the image of God. If you were with us last week, we talked about how God creates us in his image. And Pastor Justin did a great job teaching on this. If, this is such a rich concept. If you missed it last week, you need to go check it out. It's an incredible concept where it, it teaches us that God creates us like him, for him, and as representatives of him. He places us this very rich concept that if we don't understand that we are made in God's image, uniquely in God's image, like all these other truths, if we don't realize we're wired like that, once we get away from that, destruction brings destruction. It talks about how we're made in God's image. It talks about how, he says, "I, I put human beings over the earth. They're to rule over the earth, have dominion. And by dominion over the earth, it's not meaning they will dominate earth. It means that they will lead. Like any good leader, they're, they're going to take care of, they're going to serve, they're going to uh, protect, they're going to be good stewards of the earth. God has called humanity to be good stewards of this earth, but, but he created humanity as the crown of his creation. And then it says something very interesting. It's a beautiful statement about how expertly God created this world. He said, and I've given you every plant for food. In other words, and he says, then they have seeds, so don't worry. If you eat that plant, there's going to be more ones that grow. You're going to, those things are everything you need, you have, ready for you on earth. God didn't create plants and humans, and then like a couple months in, you know, humans are looking really frail, and the animals are not looking too good. And he's like, oh, man, I'll, right, let me add some fruit. They need some vitamin C down there. It's just not looking too good. Man, I totally messed this up. It's not what he did. He created an entire system that was perfect. Created a whole system with plants and, and, us, and us having everything that we need. And I've never been more reminded of this truth than this past week. This past week, I um, got a, started to see a cold was coming on early in the week. And uh, I was very just urgent and frustrated because uh, we're, we're leaving for a staff, our annual staff retreat this afternoon actually uh, we have a once a year an annual retreat where we go out as a staff and we really study and plan and do team building and just get ready for uh, how God's going to take us the the rest of the year and so I've got this retreat coming up I'm going to be locked in a van uh, with 12 other people like three and a half hours and they don't want me sneezing on them I'll be like strapped to the roof or something so 
I was starting to feel really urgent. And so I was like, I was taking any advice I could from people on how to get over a cold. And I do not recommend that you do that. Because every human being on planet Earth has their own secret cure for the cold. Cold. So the first person I talked to is, oh, it's vitamin C, man. You got to get your vitamin C. You need at least 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C. If your skin's not orange, you haven't had enough vitamin C yet, okay? Next person's like, okay, echinacea. Don't listen to the vitamin C people. It's echinacea. That's what you need. You need to get those pills. The other person's like, zinc. I don't know if you've heard, zinc is clinically proven to shorten your cold by like seven days. Get those zinc lozenges, like 10 in your mouth at once. There's the zinc people. Then there's the people that's like, I'll tell you what you got to do. Someone actually told me to do this. They say, here's what you do. You, you get honey, and then you put cinnamon in there, and then you squeeze a lemon, and then you add a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and drink it. it it'll just cure your cold because you're unconscious for a week. <laughs> and when you wake up, you have no cold after that, okay? But then you start talking to the people that they're... Like, they shop a lot at Whole Foods, okay, this kind of person. And this is when it starts to get really interesting. Like, what you need is elderberry. <laughs> elderberry drops in your mouth. Or astralgus root. You need to chew on a piece of ginger. That's what you need, okay? I feel like I'm, like, one step away from being in my house with, like, a cauldron, like, stirring things. <laughs> need the left eye of a newt in here, okay? All right, so it's a very interesting week. I'm surprised I'm still standing, okay? But the reality is a lot of that stuff is probably true. And we live in an interesting time where we're learning scientifically all about the plants and the vitamins that are all in this world that God has provided for us because he created this world perfectly. He didn't get a couple weeks in and be like, oh man, all right, I got to tweak something. No, he just said it and it was perfect. All right, now I want you to see this last verse. This is the, the last verse of chapter 1. and it's, getting, it's the last verse we're going to look at this morning. And I want you to take a look at this verse because the pattern that he's been going through for the, six, for the five days previous to this, it changes a little bit. Look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, read this with me, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is how he ends creation. He ends creation on the sixth day. And of course, um, if you joined us a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God rested on the seventh day, an important part of how we're wired. Um, Pastor Matt taught on it two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that, we all need to be reminded how we are wired for rest. Check that out. This is the sixth day. He ends creation. And what he says is he looks, he says he steps back and looks at all that he made. And he says, behold. That's like biblical language for, okay, just stop and look at this for a second. It's like a biblical exclamation point. It says, behold. He says, it was very good. Now, maybe it seems like that's still understated language, but it's, it's been setting you up. For a pattern this whole time. It was good, it was good, it was good. And then behold, it was very good. There's this incredible truth here. Incredible truth that we have to understand about how we're wired. God made it. It's very good. There's, there's this whole 
set of chapters, chapter 1 and 2, shows us how God wired this world and, and even more potently, humanity. And if we don't understand how we're, how we're hardwired, then we may go off in a direction in our life that goes against how we're wired and things short-circuit, things stop working. And this is one of those truths. You and I, as part of God's creation, are wired perfectly. He stood back at all creation and he said, it is very good. What God does when God makes something, it's good. It's very good. He's the expert. He made it. He doesn't make things adequately. He's not like, okay, that didn't turn out so well. Better. I'll try harder next time. That's not how he does it. He only makes things perfectly. That's part of how you and I are wired. That's part of how this creation is wired. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. All right, you're saying God looked at this world and he said it's very good? Because when I look around this world, it is not very good. I mean, there's, there's pain and suffering and hurt and heartache. There's evil. There's oppression. There's an animal kingdom that are at each other's throats. And then there's humanity that are at each other's throats. I mean, it's just, I, you can even look, man, I, I look at my life circumstances and it's not very good. I look at my relationships with my family and it's not very good. I look at my, my own health maybe. I look at my own health and it's not very good. You're telling me God stepped back and looked at it and said it's very good? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, now remember where we are at in the whole story. The Bible has uh, roughly 1,200 chapters in it, cover to cover. It's one long story. It has probably about almost 1,200 chapters. We get two in the beginning and about two in the end that are very good. Everything else is not. We have two in the very, we're in the very beginning of the story. Everything God's made. He says, behold, look at it. He says, it's, man, everything in there, it's harmonious, it's peaceful. It's healthy, it's vibrant, it's lively, it's joyful. It's, it's perfect. And in a couple, couple weeks, we'll get to chapter 3. And what happens in chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve decide, you know what, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do things, let's do things our way. I know God said this, but let's try it our way. And they rebelled against God. And that rebellion, it just it like opened a crack and flooding into creation was all evil and sin and rebellion against God. And it says, by the time we get to the end of chapter 3, it says, everything at that point on was under a curse. Even the ground. So now we've got things happening. We've got like earthquakes and tornadoes and we've got hurricanes. I mean, even the ground is cursed. I mean, even this universe is, is trying to pull itself apart. It's under a curse. And you say, man, God's okay leaving it like that? No, absolutely not. That's what the whole story is about. He started, it was very good. And then he sees, okay, this just, it's going against how I planned for this to work. And so he says, so I've got to have a plan. And he looks and he sees, that he looks down at the evil. And where is the evil? It's even in our hearts. Our default mode is not godliness. Our default mode is selfishness. It's pride. It's lust. It's greed. It's envy. I mean, left unchecked, that's our default. And so God has a choice. Okay, I can even just wipe out all that's evil, which would include us. Or I can step in and try and redeem them from the inside out. 
And so what he did, he spends the entire, if you read the story, the entire Old Testament, it's pointing towards one person who will come, who will save all of creation. And then the New Testament's all about the person who came, Jesus Christ. And he's the son of God. God sends him down. He sends him into this tiny galaxy, into this minuscule little solar system, onto this rather small planet that orbits a very small sun. And there's these tiny little beings called humans that run around on this tiny little planet. And the Son of God became like one of those little humans. And he walked around with them and he lived a perfect life and yet he surrendered his life to die on a cross. And God said, I will count that innocent life since it's the Son of God. I will let that count as punishment for all of your sin. And Jesus died on the cross and on the third day he rose again from the dead saying, okay, death is defeated, evil is defeated. And so God says, anyone in the Old Testament who's looking forward to that person or anyone after Jesus came who's looking back to that person and putting their faith into this promised one who came, he says, here's what I'll do. He says, not only will I declare you not guilty permanently, you're forgiven, but what he says is, it says, the Holy Spirit, this is how it describes it, lives inside of us. So in other words, he says, God comes inside and he starts working on us on the inside, from the inside out. Well, that's weird to like feel something weird when God comes inside my body. Well, here's what you start to notice. You start to notice your desires change. I no longer want to do those things I used to do. You know what the unbelievable dynamic that's happening? He's cleansing you from the inside out, and he's got you on pace. He's transforming you little by little through the rest of your life till one day you are glorified, you're sanctified is the biblical word. In other words, you're back to being very good one day. And one day, at the end of all, Jesus is going to return. And he says what God's going to do, he's going to take all of his people, he's going to recreate earth, and he's going to have, he's going to have everything perfected, everything's going to be very good again, including us from the inside out. And we're going to spend eternity with God. See, that's the story. We, we get a little two-chapter glimpse of it in the beginning. When God made it, it was very good. And right now, he's in the process of bringing creation back to being very good, and we're joining him in that process of trying to bring things back to being very good, knowing that one day he'll finally, he'll finally do that. But here's the truth. The truth is when God makes something, he makes it very good. That's the only way God does it. That means you are wired perfectly. And the implications of this truth are absolutely monumental. They can radically change our life. You know, at our, at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be followers of Jesus in the way that Jesus described them. We use the original term mathetes. We want to become mathetes, true followers of Jesus. And one of the ways that we become follower, true followers of Jesus is that we're perpetually awestruck by God. And one of the ways we are awed by God is when we realize that the only things that God makes, he makes very good. Let me give you three implications of the fact that we're wired perfectly this morning. Let me give you three of them. The first one is this. What he said is perfect. Remember, if, if God is the, is the creator, that means he's the expert. So to put it back into restaurant terms, it's not just one chef among many saying this is good food. It would be the equivalent of the person who invented eating who invented cuisine, restaurants, food in general, saying, that's good. Okay, that person has authority to say it's very good. In fact, he literally did create everything. 
God is the expert. So here's the question. Whose opinion of what's very good do we listen to? Whose opinion? Do we just get slipstreamed into our culture and just, well, if our culture says it's good, then it's good. If, if culture says this is what's true, then it's true. If culture says this is what right and wrong is, then, then it's good. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says every, all of what God said is true. The way God told us how to live, the way he told us how he wired humanity. Check out this psalm. It's Psalm um, 119, 89, and 90. Check this out. Go ahead and bring it up. Listen to this psalm. He says, forever. Do you notice it doesn't just say, hey, way back when, when you first said it, it, it was true. He says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all, what's that word? All generations. Your faithfulness is not just true to like a really religious grandparent generation. Your, your faithfulness is true to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Do you realize what that's saying? It's saying everything you said as far as how we're supposed to live, how we're to handle our relationships, how we're to handle our sexuality, how we're to handle our lives, how we're to handle our worship, how we're to handle our families, our friendships, our time, our resources, our money, our talents, how we're supposed to handle everything, how God said it is perfect. It's not outdated. It stands true forever for all generations. It stands true. Yeah, but man, there's experts in our generation who say, man, that just is, that's a, you read the Bible, that's just an outdated book. I mean, I can't believe you still believe what that book that, I mean, some parts are 3,500 years old, you believe that book? Well, here's the alternative. The alternative is we beat our chests as the first generation that has it all figured out. Well, we've figured it out. I mean, all those idiots before us didn't know what they were talking about, but we have now figured out how we're supposed to handle life and all parts of our life. We've figured it out. I mean, isn't that unbelievably naive and arrogant? Isn't it far more logical to say, let me find truths that have, when used correctly, throughout history have breathed life and hope and salvation to people all over the globe? Throughout history. The first implication is uh, what he said is perfect. And here's the second implication what he makes is perfect. What he said is perfect, and what he makes is perfect. If this is true, he looks back on, on creation and he says it is very good. That means what he makes is perfect. I want to camp on this one for a second. Because I think one of the most damaging ways that our culture says this is good and this is not is how it tells us how we're supposed to be, have been made. Can we just talk about body image for a second? It's like you can't even go to Walgreens to buy like a, a pack of gum without seeing magazines spread across as you're walking to the counter of, of magazines claiming this is what a beautiful person looks like, this is how you're supposed to look. If you don't measure up to this, you're not very good. And it's culture saying, this is what's very good, and this is what's not very good. And it's saying, we know, God, it doesn't matter how you wired each human. This is our standard for what is very good. And we can just slip into the stream of culture and just say, wow, that is what's pretty, and that is what's beautiful, and that is how I'm supposed to look, and that is how she's supposed to look, and that is how my kids are supposed to look. And so we can, we can, that can be so unbelievably oppressive. 
That can, that can ruin lives. That can leave us hopelessly insecure, despairing. And you realize, that, can we just crack that apart for a second and realize that's just what our culture has chosen to say right now? In a, in a, where in every culture has their own random ideal of what's beautiful that they try and convince their culture of? Let, let me just give you an example. Um, can you, let's just go back like 150 years to the Victorian corset. It is an undergarment that women wore that cinched their waists as tightly as possible. You actually could not tie it yourself if you're a woman. You'd have someone, maybe upper class, you'd have someone that was like a handmaiden that they were tightening it for you. And they used whalebone and it brought your rib cage in. So to the point that it was not uncommon as they're tightening these corsets that women are breaking ribs and that their organs are getting displaced as they're tightening. You maybe can think in that time period, they talk about how these women are always fainting and swooning. It's not because they're just really delicate people. It's because they literally can't breathe in all the way. Here, I want to show you. This is an actual photograph of a woman in a corset. Here, go. There's one more. I want to show you this next one. Check out this one. There's another picture up there. Look at that. That culture thought that was beautiful. And to great harm, they would do this to their, to their bodies with a corset. Because they said, this is beautiful. And they're all like, well, that's beautiful, so we all got to look like this. Okay, that's just previously in our culture. Let's go a little bit around the world. Go ahead and bring up the next one. This is um, the Malawi culture in West Africa. And in their culture... Um, what's beautiful is teeth chiseling. And so they shape, the women in their culture shape their teeth down to a point, and um, through files and chipping, they shape them, the top and bottom, to a point. And in that culture, that's their ideal. So just to kind of get ourselves into this idea, that means if we took a picture of like a Colgate ad with someone from our culture with like what we think is perfect, straight, white teeth, they'd be like, What's with the weird flat teeth that that person has? Be totally bizarre and ugly to them. Okay, look, at you might have seen a picture like this before. This is uh, in, in Thailand. Go to the next picture. You may have seen this before. In this culture, they put on these um, rings onto their neck to elongate their necks. And that, that's in their culture. That's beautiful. I'm not saying that to make fun of that in any way. I'm just wanting to show you that beauty is subjective, not universal. I want to show you this last picture before I bring it up. Don't bring it up yet. Okay. <laughs> this is from, um, they, they found this archaeologically. This is from um, South Amer- some South American tribes that they believed that having an elongated head was beautiful. So they would take their babies when their head is soft and they would shape their heads so they look elongated. Okay, and they know that they did this because they found the instruments and they found archaeological evidence of it. Check out this picture. In that culture, that was beautiful. That's what they, that's what they said is beautiful. For that culture, all around the world, right now, there's all different definitions of what's beautiful. Can we just demythologize our concept of beauty for a second? It's not universal. It's not set in stone. It's not what has to be. It's what our cultural experts are saying, that is very good. 
You say, man, I can't believe those cultures. They went through such pain in their bodies to look like their ideal. Maybe that's not so different from our culture. Christian, you've been made perfectly. He wired you the way he wired you. That is how he wanted you to look. With your DNA and your personality and your body type and everything about you, that is how he wired you. That is how he wanted you. He doesn't make second-rate things. He wires perfectly. Can we just kind of like unlock the cage and walk out of the cage of saying, I have got to make myself look like what some expert at some magazine sale company says I should look like, which by the way, those pictures that on the front covers of the magazines, that's not actually what that person looked like when they took the picture. They've since reshaped their bodies, literally. They've since... uh, washed out all the wrinkles and touched up their skin. That's actually a fictional picture that you're seeing. And it's being held up and so many men and women are under this oppression of I've got to look like that. I've got and and it can weigh down. I've got to look like this. And it can be any category, but I just want to hang on body image for a second. Because God wired you perfectly. Can I ladies, especially walk out of that oppression. You don't You need to look like how God designed you to look. Men, what is our expectation of the woman in our life? Is it our expectation, okay, this is what the culture says you should look like, you should look like that. Parents, what are we passing down? What chains are we placing on our kids? We're raising up daughters, mothers saying, hey, you need to look like this. You're can't look like that. You've got to look like this. You've got to try harder. You've got to try these clothes. We walk around our sons and are they hearing the comments we're making about women that we see and we're training them up as to what, the, the, what a woman is supposed to look like? Are we accidentally training up kids under the same yoke of oppression, not understanding this incredible truth? Listen to what Psalm 139.14 says. If every one of us could memorize this and sink it deeply into our souls, would do, it would bring so much healing. It says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. In the same way I look at all of creation, I say, yeah, you did a pretty good job, God. So that means you did good with me too. Let me just give you two practical things on this. First of all, let's reshape how we think and reshape how we speak. Here's the first thing, reshape how we think. Let's be aware of what are the influences that are coming in that are making me feel like I am not made wonderfully by God. What are the influences? Is it friends? A family member? Is it magazines? Is it what I see in commercials? Is it what are my influences that are shaping how I'm thinking? What about it for our, for our family? What are the influences I'm bringing in that my kids are seeing that are shaping how they view what is good and perfect? And let's think about our words. What are, our, are we saying words that build up men, especially for your wives? Are you speaking words that are building up and, and help sink that truth in their lives? Well, I, I mean, when we were dating like 20 years ago, I told her she was pretty. I mean, that's got to count, right? I mean, it's like, it's, nothing's changed. I mean, it's 25 years ago when I said that. Are we speaking 
and lifting up the women that God placed in our lives and help, helping them understand this truth since it's under attack? Are we careful with our words to our daughters? That they walk out, if, if there's one thing in this culture, especially South Florida culture, that we could instill in our daughters after the gospel, maybe it's that God made you wonderfully. And that means you're beautiful. What about the careless words around our sons? Are we careful about the comments that we make around our sons about what we see? Do they hear us make comments? Are we raising up kids that understand this incredible truth that they're wired perfectly and what God makes is perfect? Here's the third one. How he works is perfect. You may be saying, you know, I hear you what you're saying, what God makes is perfect, but man, when I look around in my life right now, it doesn't really seem very perfect. In fact, you said he, he makes, he wires our bodies perfectly, but if I'm honest, man, my, I just got a bad health report. I've got chronic, Ill, I mean, yeah, I you know you say he wired me perfectly, but then how come I've got all these issues in my life? Well, remember where we were at in the story. Where we're at in the story is there's two chapters of very good in the beginning and two chapters of very good at the end, and we're in the middle part where God is in the process of redeeming. And right now what's in our lives are things that are not very good, but here's what you can know. He steps into our lives, and he's in the business of taking the things that are not good and turning something good out of it. We don't, sometimes don't know, maybe you don't know what it is yet, but he's redeeming something in your life right now. They say, yeah, but if he's the one that works very good, well, then how come this is happening? There's something in our life, and he is stepping in, and he's going to make it into something good. It's just a matter of faith. Do we really and truly believe that every time he acts, it's very good? Here's what the scripture says, another psalm. Look at what it says. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. His ways are always perfect. This morning we're confronted with this truth of how we're wired. Wired perfectly. There's so many implications. Implications of what he said for how we should live. There's implications of how, how we are actually made. And there's implications of how he's working in our life. And the, the question is, do we believe it or not? Do you believe that when he creates, he does it perfectly? When he moves, it's perfect. And how he's wired me is perfect. If we could only sink our teeth in that, if we could only stand on that truth, man, we would be perpetually awestruck by who God is. You might be here this morning and you might be saying, look, I, I want so badly to believe that and I... I see a lot in me that's not good. And you talked about being redeemed from the inside out. I, I, I just want to know that I, I feel like there's so much I need to be forgiven for. I want to be forgiven. And I want God to go to work inside of me and change me from the inside out. I believe he sent the Son of God to die on the cross. And that that pays for my sins. I want to begin this relationship. I want to be a follower of Jesus starting today. Maybe you're ready to make that all of that your own. Maybe you're ready to make that statement and you're ready to say, okay, I, I'm ready to be committed and to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, please do that today. If that's where you're at, if you're thinking that through, if you're feeling that tug on your heart, please take that step. If you're ready to take that step, I want to just lead you in a prayer. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? Is that you? Are you wrestling with that this morning?
I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to begin to feel God go to work on me on the inside out. And I want to know that I'm saved for eternity. And just simply pray this prayer in your heart. Just between you and God, just pray this, God, thank you for this great plan that you sent your son to die on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you for the great sacrifice that that was. I believe that he rose again from the dead, conquering death and conquering my sin. I ask God that you would send your spirit to start working on me on the inside. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with someone about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.